Well, you know you're at Lakeland, and you know it's summertime when we're doing mad movies, as stupid as possible, uh, and singing 90s music, and just having way too much of a good time. So, uh, nice to see you all here. First service. Let's just say you guys slept in. Nice work. Uh, It's great. So... um, yeah, so we are working, we're going to spend here the month of July, other than having some stupid fun, uh, working on our mission and our vision around here, and here it is behind me, to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to just drive this home for a little bit, and uh, today just kind of start in square one, and that means we're going to go right here to a scripture out of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and I gave you a handout, it's got a like three fill-in-the-blank things a little later. But um, for the most part, the Scripture's here, so you can kind of chew on it uh, and read it again and not get hurried through it here. So uh, that's there for your um, reading. Here we go. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 16. It is far too easy, everyone, to forget Peter's central pronouncement, the core of the church. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Central to the Christian faith is Jesus Christ, yes? The church is built upon this rock, this confession, that Jesus is the world's Savior, He is the Messiah, the Christ. Without this central idea, the church quickly drifts and accommodates whatever is popular during that generation. And we see that going on these days. The church can drift into self-righteous moralism. Hang out with me for any time and you'll find out that I think the number one enemy to Christianity is moralism because moralism quickly drifts into judgmentalism and it quickly drifts into who's in, who's out, who belongs, who doesn't belong and it becomes an exclusive sort of thing and it's always a very, very small, narrow group who happen to be the most righteous ones. Moralism is the enemy of Christianity. That's my rant. I have another one probably coming. Um, so forget Peter's pronouncement, and, uh, and, and on the end of the spectrum, Jesus becomes nothing more than just a secular social worker, a helper, a people fixer, a life coach, or a polite shepherdy pastor. As theologian Scott McKnight stated, liberals find a liberal Jesus, conservatives find a conservative Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus on their side. And what's interesting is, is they'll take Jesus and yank him and jam him and stick him into whatever they want. And it has very little to do with whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Somewhere along the line, Jesus gets commandeered. And Jesus Christ seems to lose his Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who could raise the dead, weep for the grieving, cast out hell's demons, 
cuddle children, touch lepers, incite riots, accuse the religious of being snakes and sons of hell, forgive his torturous pagan Roman executors, pray drops of blood, call himself Yahweh, the great I am, and let's not forget that we soon drift away from the fact that Jesus Christ himself said he would raise himself from the dead and then did so. Lose that, and you lose the rock of the church. When Jesus started, uh, when Jesus, when Lakeland started in 1996, we, we were really only about one thing. And it was pretty easy to only be about one thing, because we only had about one thing. We were a portable church. We didn't have a, anything. And um, so we were just about one thing. How can we invite our friends, neighbor, and family to a place that says, Come as you are and come as you like. We accept everyone. Just come join our village. Just come be with us. We didn't have a slick plan or anything like that. We just wanted to be a group, a community. And we had a mission statement a lot like this one. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. You can begin to break it down. It's about a community. Community. It's about making something and building something. It has to be authentic. And of course, today's topic, it's about Jesus Christ. That's all we wanted to do. We had a concern and a love for our friends that was genuine. It's what we do because this is who we are. We just did what we thought was natural. To follow Jesus is to own Jesus as though he lives within the individual, as though Jesus is in one's conscious thought. Do you know how hard of a concept this is to try and convince your secular friends and neighbor and family that somehow you pray to this thing called God and that Jesus Christ is in there somehow? (laughs) What a weird concept. Inviting people into this relationship, saying, come be like me. Acclaimed anthropologist, Tanya Lerman, and I put her quote on the piece of paper there for you. Acclaimed anthropologist, Tanya Lerman, has studied Christians a lot like us, this particular kind of flavor of Christianity in America, and this is uh, 2012, by the way, so it's current. And it helps to hear what a secular anthropologist, a scientist like Lerman thinks of people like us when we pray. So I'm giving you the quote of what she says. She's commenting on churches like Lakeland, and Lerman says this, God participates in your mind. And you, quotey fingers, you hear what he says as if it were external speech. God wants you, God wants to be your friend. You develop that relationship through prayer, and prayer is hard work and requires effort and training. And when you develop that relationship, God will answer back through thoughts and mental images he placed in your mind and through sensations he causes in your body. That's how she describes Christian prayer as a scientist. So as an anthropologist, Lerman is fascinated by this experience. And she classifies this experience of prayer, what you and I just think is normal prayer, and actually, you know, a lot of people do this. She calls it participatory theory of mind. She didn't come up with participatory theory of mind. It's a standard phrase out of psychology, 
okay? Theory of mind is that thing, and we all know what it is, you just didn't know the label for it. Theory of mind is that thing you do when you're bowling, and the ball's going down the lane, and it's not going where you want it to. So you start doing this. And the ball is supposed to respond to you using the force to make the ball go where it's supposed to go. Your body inexplicably, I can't even say it, just it does its own thing. You are willing the ball. Now what's really weird is it never works, but we can't help it. We do it time and time again. So she calls prayer participatory theory of mind because she says that's about the closest thing you can describe as prayer and what's going on that God is speaking to you. Very, very intriguing on how she classifies the whole thing. This is what we're trying to get people to do. This is who we are. We are people in a relationship with God and we're trying to get other people to do the theory of mind thing called prayer. To have this relationship with Jesus. To create this authentic community. That's kind of weird. And yet, the intriguing part here is that about 95% of the world prays. Different religions, different faith, no faith at all. Most atheists pray. To pray is to be human. People do it. So much for, you know, Richard Dawkins and Hitchens and all the rest of the atheist evangelists out there telling us that we have evolved past the need for God. Like Nietzsche said, you know, God is dead. We don't need God anymore. Like, well, I guess not, because everybody's still praying. Theory of mind or whatever. To be human is to pray. And that's what we are inviting people into. It's not a drink the Kool-Aid manipulation thing. It's actually something that people are already doing. We're just saying like the son of uh, the living son of God. That's, that's how it works. That's why I love Christianity is because it's already telling you, look, it works this way. You talk to God. The son of God came to be with us. Look at him and you'll see how it's done. We pray the Lord's Prayer every week because we want to see how it's done. The church has a vision to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. The church is this unique society, if you want to call it a society. It's not a society. It's not an organization. We're not a club. It's like a village. It, that's the best word I ever come up with these days is we're a village. And it, I, I can say that word because most of us never have lived in a village, so it's kind of easy because we can just romanticize what we think a village is. And this village is like this small town thing where everybody kind of knows each other, you know, and everything just sort of is out there in the village Everybody knows who's rich and who's poor, who's weird and who's really weird. In the village, everybody knows each other. We know who's stingy and we know who's generous. The village knows who's living beyond their means and who needs to share a little bit. And somebody else probably needs to take a vacation that they don't want to take, and they need a vacation. We know in the village 
who's a drama queen, and even more so a drama king, because they are more dramatic. We know who silently sweeps the floor in the village, and we know who really needs a spotlight. <laughs> we know who needs a party thrown for him, and we know who needs to stop partying. We know who's a little strange and who needs to be a little stranger. And when it comes to being a member of a small town, no one ever said it any better than author and poet Wendell Berry. And if you've never read any Wendell Berry, it's awesome stuff. He describes small town better than anybody else. And he says, villages like this, he says, it ain't who's in and who's out, but rather who knows and who don't. And that's kind of the way it works in the Christian faith. It's not a moralistic thing of who's in and who's out. It's a who knows and who don't. You want to be a part of the church? A part of the authentic community? You're in. You know it, right? Maybe go, I know I don't. Like, well, okay, then hang out with us. We got a little Kool-Aid for you. For you younger people who don't get the Kool-Aid joke, uh, uh, Google uh, Jonestown. Okay. And then you'll go like, that's gross. You guys are using that metaphor around there? Like, that's, you guys are sicko. Like, now you're intrigued, aren't you? <laughs> this is a part of belonging to each other. This is what makes a community. This is what makes it authentic. Authenticity, you can't manufacture it. You can't fake authenticity, duh. You know, authenticity is only created through proximity. You get close to each other, and the authenticity comes out because you begin to do life together. So when church sits around and says, hey, man, it's all about community, it's all about community, authentic community, authentic community, and you begin to say, like, you come do life together. The church is some sort of a place where we ought to be handcuffed to each other so that you've got to gnaw your arm off if you want to leave. That's what creates church. Just for another gross metaphor. But even with all this powerful, good village life, without Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, without that to anchor us, without that being our rock, it's just another social club, just another country club. Jesus is the rock that anchors us. It's this Jesus Christ that makes his church. It's Jesus' code, his creed. It's his teaching, his life, his sacrifice. It's his blood. It's his promise of life that binds the village together. It's this, it's this one loaf of bread, this one cup of wine. It's the oneness of the entire thing. That's why that's a sacrament, the one loaf and the one, the one cup. You're like, wow, it's just like some symbols. Like, no, man, it's the reality of the church. It's who we are. Eat one loaf, drink one cup. That's what makes us who we are. That's our Kool-Aid. Now, at great risk, after all this talk of authenticity, of giving you a gimmick, I'm going to give you a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. It's really descriptive and not prescriptive. And the descriptive thing of what we're doing around here at Lakeland Community Church to get this done is what I called a long time ago in my more gimmicky days, the three ends of Lakeland. And the three, this is where you fill this stuff in. It's going to be on the screen. The three ends of Lakeland are this, invest, engage, and invite. 
the three ends. We're not too big on dictionary things around here, but we love phonetics. So invest, engage, and invite. And it, it, and it also reveals my deep redneck roots. Um, but invest, engage, and invite. It, it sounds gimmicky, and maybe it is. It's just descriptive of what we all do all the time in life. Thus, case in point. Have you seen the new Spider-Man movie? You need to see the new, exactly. You should see the new Spider-Man movie because if you haven't seen the new Spider-Man movie, you ain't living yet. Your life's not complete. You need the new Spider-Man movie. We tell people on Monday morning what we did that weekend and we tell them about the new movie we saw. Have you been to the Pearl restaurant? You know, Andy Locke's restaurant, Drew Locke's restaurant. Drew Locks, I mean, besides the Bronco thing. But I mean, have you been to the Pearl Restaurant? It's the best seafood in town. Okay, it's the only seafood in town. But it's the best seafood in town. Pearl Restaurant. You haven't been to the Pearl Restaurant, then you're not living. Do you know how many Devil's Den State Park in Arkansas evangelists are in this church? Oh, there they are. They're all like drinking that cool. I have been evangelized for years about Devil's Den State Park in Arkansas. Devil's Den 316, I'm telling you. There are people around here who will badger you until you drink their Kool-Aid of Devil's Den State Park. I still haven't gone there. They're still after me. I'm a pagan Devil's Den State Park person. But they're going to convert me someday, and I will go there, and then I will begin to tell you about Devil's Den State Park and how your life will have more meaning, and you will be totally filled and have eternal life if you go to Devil's Den State Park. That's the way it's going to work. So last night, we're out uh, hanging out in Lake Winnebago with, you know, your fellow Lakelanders and friends. And I'd be lying if it wasn't our idea, but let me just tell you, the Lake Winnebago evangelists are out in force, and you need to be aware of them, okay? Because they will drive you around in their ultra-cool golf cart and put drinks in your hand and show you dudes in the water doing this, like, hey, man. And you will begin to say, like, I need to live at Lake Winnebago. Where do I write the check if you had that kind of money in your account? Which we don't. But I'm telling you, we just do this, guys. We do the invest, engage, and invite all day long. We invite people into a community, and it's not a gimmick. This is the way humanity works. Whether it be Spider-Man or Pearl Restaurant, Devil's Den, or Lake Winnebago, or whatever it is that we're excited about. So, it's not so much about a gimmick of selling people. It's really more of a litmus test for the Christian that says, do you have a compelling spiritual story that you cannot help but want to share with other people? Are you living the Christian life in such a way? Have you sold out to Jesus in such a way that you cannot help but share something about it? Does it ooze out of you, not in a gimmicky way that says like, you know, when I was talking to God or I was reading the scripture or I was reading the spiritual author or as I went to church and I went to worship and I went on this trip and I went to help some people here and some people came and helped me. Is that kind of stuff going on? That is what gets sold. And that's what everyone on the planet is desperate to have. It's a village with you. And that's what we're trying to create around here. Slogans, vision statements, three ends, whatever. 
the authenticity of the church is you. And you are at your most authentic when you are living in tight communion theory of mind with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, your rock. That's what we're all anchored to. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're all trying to get done. That's our motivation behind Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the front door to the gospel. We're simply trying to take people who are far away from God and gently, kindly introduce them into the presence of what it looks like to be around Christians. That's you guys. You'll never find a more desperate person here at Lakeland than somebody who has invited somebody that they've been inviting for three months and they're finally showing up. And they come up to me or Marta or Garrett or Chris or anybody else and say, is it going to be good today? Like, yeah, it's going to be great. You know? Or, you know, when we do something out of the ordinary, they're like, eh, they're cringing and freaking out. Like, oh, they showed those stupid mad movies. It's so embarrassing. You know? And then, of course, they talk to their friend like, hey, can they just show those every week? Because that's kind of funny. I thought that was good. You know? So it's, it's just a way of saying, like, we want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so people can come in and there's no secret code and you don't have to speak Latin or anything else like that. It's all cool. That's all we're trying to get done. We're trying to legitimate you <laughs> and your Christian experience. So you, so, so you can say, like, see, there's other people just like me. We're all crazy. Meh. You can come be crazy with us. That's what we're trying to get done. Remember, everybody, you're just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. No pretense. What you see is what you get. That's the best gospel we have going. So we ought to be on it. And if you aren't compelled in your heart and in your mind and in your soul for your seeking friends and neighbors and relatives, then you need to up your game. And you need to drill down and get a better taproot in your soul. You want to do something? Do some sort of trip. Do something that's out of the ordinary. Rock your boat. Shake things up. Help the poor. Do something that gives you something that's equivalent to at least a Spider-Man movie. And God forbid Devil's Den. (laughs) That's what we're trying to get done. This is what we do. Now, tonight, we have our annual baptism. And some are, will affirm their baptism and um, others will, you know, go out into the waters and so forth and for the first time. And, you know, if you've ever done it, when you did it yourself, what they need is all of their brothers and sisters in Christ and the rest of their family to come out and help them with the, their sheer grit of the occasion. You know, just it takes a lot of sheer grit. I'm trying to say that really slow so I don't do a spoonerism. And they need, they need just you to come out and participate with them as they do one of the most weird, bravest things in the world, which is go out into the water and get dunked backwards. And just so you know, uh, we start with the short ones, and then it gets deeper and deeper as we go out. And if you're a really bad sinner, we just hold you over for a long time. And then <clears throat> that takes care of things. They need, they need you. They need others around them. And that's why it's like, 
it's not a matter of like, is it going to be fun or not? I mean, it's cool. It's a matter of, are we a village or not? And will you be a part of the village? And will you come out and cheer and, you know, fist pump and say, yeah, that was cool. That kid just did that. That 60-year-old man just did that. That is a moment, everyone. That is a moment. And that's what we're trying to get done tonight. Now, that's one sacrament of the Protestant church. And here's the other one. We only have two. The Lord's table. So if the servers want to come. This is another moment of sheer grit. And I'll tell you this. <clears throat> so here we are with the one, the one cup and the one loaf. <clears throat> and for some of you, you've never come forward for at a church for a communion. Like this is a really weird thing. And that's fine. If that's you and you don't want to come, that's totally cool. You're at Lakeland. It's completely nice. But for some of you, a small percentage, you're like, I don't know if I believe all this Jesus, Messiah, Son of the Living God stuff and theory of mind and prayer and all the rest of it. I'll tell you the way it's what's happened at Lakeland. People get out of their seat and they're like, well, here I go. Like bowling, I'm just going on down there with the rest of the people. And something happens on the way and they say, like, I, I guess I'm, I'm in. And that's why Lakeland has an open table, as it's called. So for all you highly churched people, as opposed to a closed table, like only people who are members can come. At Lakeland, we think this is a moment to engage Jesus Christ. And so it's an open table. That's what we've experienced for over 20 years. You get in line, and you come, and you see what happens. I don't know how else to describe it. Amen.